Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Hey, Level Up, it's uh, Brendan Payne again, and uh, super excited today. We have got a great guest from the Century 21 family, Mr. Eddie Bierenbaum, who is coming to us uh, yeah. right now. He is out of um, the D.C. market. He is on location, though, in Austin, so we'll get to hear about a little bit about what, uh, what he's doing out there. And um, Eddie has been actually in business over 20 years, and you're going to hear a great story of how he started um, from really from scratch and has now grown his office along with his partners to over 600 agents, 13 locations, doing over a billion dollars. That's billion with a B in transaction volume on an annual basis. So really, really looking forward to uh, some of the things that he's going to be able to share with all of us. So without uh, further uh, delay, Eddie, welcome to the uh, Level Up podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm down here in Austin, Texas, so broadcasting live from my uh, beautiful room in the Fairmont Hotel, where I'm, I'm here to attend the, the Zillow Broker Conference, which uh, starts today and runs through, through Friday. So I had a big week of travel. I was actually at ESPN with Century 21 yesterday. We're announcing a big uh, team is joining us in our Washington, D.C. office, and so I was able to arrange to get a tour of uh, the ESPN studios them and wow. meet with the uh, the marketing team. So it just happened that this was the same week as the uh, the, the Zillow conference. So I'm typically would normally be you know operating from one of our 13 offices in the DC area. I personally live in Arlington, Virginia, but this week's been pretty wild in terms of travel. That's awesome. Well, do you talk about a a way to lock down a, a, a top producing team to come over to your office? That's pretty solid. Yeah, give them a little tour at ESPN. So. Now, you're with Century 21 Redwood, which is, we talked yes. a little bit about, you got to tell me where Century 21 Redwood, uh, that name came from, because you're in the D.C. market. I think Redwood, I think the Northwest. So what's up with that? Yep. So, okay, let's, yeah, let's start. So I started my, let's talk about my, my it'll be 22 years my career will span um, as of January of this year. So if you were to take my real estate life back, I graduated from Penn State university in uh, December 97. And then the first Monday of my kind of adult post-college life, I started working for a big home builder in the DC area, Richmond American Homes. And Richmond American Homes, uh, Denver-based company, I was started as a salesperson for them with my own model homes. And I was actually referred to that job by one of my two business partners now, the, the rundown basically went like this. I studied marketing uh, at, at Penn State University. Sean knew that. And he took a job with Richard American about a year and a half before I started there. And so it was weeks before graduation, I got a call from Sean. He said, hey, I've got a, uh, a, a great job you should consider. And I said, oh, man, you know, I don't want to I don't want to pick where I'm going to live because of uh, because of a job. You know, I want to go find a place I want to live and then get a job. And he said, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm making some money. I said, what's that mean? And then he told me, I said, all right, I, I'll be down next week. And. Uh, I went down and it was in terms of career, it was just absolutely love at first sight. I interviewed with two different builders, Richmond American Homes and Toll Brothers, for those of you uh, that, that, you know, both big national companies. And I honestly picked Richmond American because they were just ready to throw me to the fire and let me start selling. 
and Toll Brothers wanted to take a year and train me. And training. I thought, you know what? I just, uh, I appreciate training, but I, I want to just be able to go out there yeah. and, and sell some houses. And so within, by the end of that first year, by the end of 98, Sean and I were kind of neck and neck in terms of number one and two in the entire company. I wound up taking a job in management about a year and a half later. My first hire was our who was our third business partner, Nick Pasquini, who's a friend of mine that I'd grown up with in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, who was just himself graduating from Penn State. So end of the day, three buddies, uh, two from the home, same hometown in Pittsburgh, working for a big home builder. We absolutely loved real estate. We loved the sales process. We loved connecting with the buyers. Where the part of new home sales that didn't resonate for us was that we were representing the builder Mm. as opposed to the buyers. So our relationship was with the buyers, but our representation was with the builder. And so it didn't take too long for us to say, you know, we would really love to get onto the other side of the desk and get into general brokerage. And so we decided that we were going to start our company. And if you want to know, so this brings us to where does the name Redwood come from? Our our kind of working title was Rockstar Realty. We never really wanted to be Rockstar Realty, but we were looking for a name that, you know, to us identified as, as kind of being the best, being Rockstars. Mm -hmm. So you take a look at, at a Redwood. Redwood's the tallest tree in the forest. And so it, you know, it's success. It's got a big wide trunk, which is stability. And more than anything, trees appeal to as many people as possible while turning off as few people as possible. If you look at new homes, uh, model homes always have pictures of trees because nobody looks around a room and says this uh, this room this would be perfect if it wasn't for all these damn trees. Right. So easiest answer is you know uh, be as appealing to as many people as possible without well, turning off as few. And so the name works for us. It, it's funny. I'd say one out of a hundred people has the same uh, at least verbalizes the same feedback that you did, which is it feels like it should be in California. Uh -huh. I did, that was kind of a final objection people gave us. I said, eh, most people don't think in, into things that much. And um, so we picked the yeah. name and, and never looked back. And for the, and for the 1% that do, you've got a great, <laughs> you've got a great explanation. Got a great story, that. man. That's a great talking yeah. point. You know, you almost want to find ways that you can bring that out more. So, okay. So you were, you're in the new construction business, did that for a while, had a lot of success on the production side, took a job in management. So where did, where did you break off from saying, okay, I figured out how to actually um, to, to do some deals. And then I mm -hmm. moved on to the, you know, what some would say is the next step and maybe um, growing at that point. But then at some point you made a big break and said, all right, we're going to actually go and we're going to try to do this thing on our own. What was that like? You know, in hindsight, it should have been really scary, but I, we always, and maybe this is why we've always been so darn successful is, is we've always proceeded with, with, you know, full confidence that we were going to be able to get off the ground. So November 2002, the three of us each invested $20,000 into an account. So 60 grand into the account. I was tasked with uh, getting it off the ground. And when I had enough business for two of us, Sean, who was still at Richmond American Homes, was, was going to join us. And then when we had enough business for three of us, Nick, who was doing an around the world trip at this time was going to join us for, um, as a, as our third partner. So scariest thing, you know, I would say it wasn't scary from the beginning. I would say a full month in when I had spent $20,000 on marketing and hadn't 
created a single lead from that $20,000. I was taking out big back page ads, uh, you know, advertising, hey, you know, uh, we had, we had, we had a, our, our marketing campaign was we partnered with a local furniture place and, and I had a big, it's funny, I had gone into it saying, we're going to be the company that, that doesn't even have our face on our business card. And through a friend of a friend, I met with an advertising consultant and he said, hey, I think your headshot's like gold. I think you should play that. And he designed this whole thing. It was my face. said, smile, I'm going to give you $1,000 worth of Belfort furniture. The, the mindset was nobody knew who Redwood was, but everybody knew this local furniture company, Belfort. And, um, and so we ran these ads and I spent 20 grand, not a single freaking phone call. And which is really scary because if it was just my company, I would have been completely out of business. But luckily, because right. it was them, I still had about 40K in, in the pipeline. So I'm doing my ad one day. This is probably five or six months into the company. And I look across and sit, and I'm at a Pizzeria Uno at, at the Dulles Town Center, for those of you who are in Northern Virginia. And I look at the bar, and there's a Remax agent at the bar. And I thought to myself, and I knew him from New Home days. And I thought, oh man, this is going to humiliate me, but I need to get advice from somebody. And so I go up to him. I said, Hey, how you doing? Eddie Barrymore. We know each other from, I used to sell new homes. He says, Oh yeah. I said, Hey, I got a question for you. Um, we both advertise in the same papers. There's no way you're doing as bad as I am. I said, will you look at my ad and tell me why nobody's calling me? And he looked at it. And I think your listeners are probably going to laugh right now. And he says, yeah, that's simple, man. You don't have any listings. And I said, okay. So if I had listings, people would call me. And he said, yeah, of course, you're in the back cover every week. <laughs> and I said, all right. And so the next day I got up, I don't remember what day of the week it was. And I just drove around my target areas and I looked for, for sale by owners. I said, I'm going to put you on the back cover of these newspapers every single week. And I said, I'm going to hold your house open every Saturday, every Sunday from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. And I'm going to sell your house and I'm going to charge you a commission. I said, we're just going to pay the, the buyer commission, buyers at 3%. And I found one lovely family that took me up on this crazy offer. Uh, the parents didn't speak English. The daughter had to interpret, you know, hey, we've got this crazy guy that wants to put us on the back cover and not charge us a commission. And I think the parents enjoyed the not charge us a commission part. Right. And so that was it, man. I did my first open house. Uh, everybody can research this, but I believe the numbers would show that it was February 2003 because we'd started November 02. And, and the, the day of my first open house was actually, sadly, the Saturday that the space shuttle had uh, the second space shuttle tragedy where it kind of disintegrated coming in over Texas. And I remember because I was setting my, my, uh, my open house signs up, my dad called and he says, you hear about the space shuttle, and that's never a good sign. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we did that, and it was kind of a very slow open house that Saturday. But that Sunday, I probably had 30 people through and we've just been slam busy ever since. And so I've always been a very adaptable person. And so it didn't take long for that one listing that I did for free to translate into 10, 20 listings at a full 6% commission. And come that, man, I tell you, by that was February, by about end of March, I had enough business for two of us. Sean almost killed me because he didn't join until July. I literally, what I did is I told him I'm booking three weeks in Italy. And if you join me by this date, I can train you for two weeks. You know, uh, if you give your notice by this date, I can give you two weeks. So long story short, he gave enough notice that I had uh, a Saturday to train him. And then I left for, for three weeks on that Sunday. And, 
And so Sean basically took over all my backlog. That was kind of the idea in setting things up. We weren't, when we launched Redwood, I don't think we had this vision that we were going to be a, you know, a top franchise, uh, fran- top franchisee in any organization. We were just mainly looking, we're three guys. We respect each other's work ethic. We respect each other's, uh, you know, professional opinions. And so we can set things up where we can cover for each other. So if we shared everything from the beginning, so uh, as soon as Sean joined, we shared everything equally. And as soon as Nick joined, we've shared everything equally. So even if I went on a run and I sold 10 in a row and they hadn't sold anything, I don't think that ever happened. But if it did, we'd still go a third, a third, a third. And we've always had that knowledge that different one of us are going to run they're going to different, different one of us are going to run ahead of the pack for a bit. And then it's just over time, we're just all going to bring different things to the table and continue to grow. Yeah, for sure. So That's Nick joined awesome. us. Um, yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, but Nick joined us in November of three and it's been nonstop ever since. Well, I was going to say the, there's <laughs> obviously a big level of trust between the three of you in the beginning because the other two stayed in their job and gave the marketing guy mm-hmm. the entire budget. To yeah. Get- to go start the, the process with so high mm-hmm. level of trust I can, yeah i so, can tell you if you want a funny story um so the first day nick joined us right this will give you a good idea first day sean joins us he says all right let me go through all the contracts right because i'm the marketing guy i'm the sales guy i'm out front and i said okay no problem and i opened up my trunk and i literally had every contract you know just kind of scattered across my whole trunk because oh here's a little background um, yeah, we didn't have any filing. And so Sean, the first day he filed everything. So we went from just aggressive sales without really any kind of organization to Sean organized everything. And then to show you Nick's talent, his first day on the job, he said, all right, let's go over the books. And we said, all right, yeah, well, this is kind of the, the checkbook. And he says, all right, there's no entries on it. We're like, yeah, man, we're just, we're selling a bunch of houses. So Nick, Nick spends a day or two bounces everything. And he said, he says, you guys realize, like, uh, we have a negative balance. I said, no, we don't have a negative balance. Like, look, you know, there's like $30,000. He says, yeah, if you add up, if every check we've written got cash, like, yeah. we'd be in the negative. So Nick's first day, he said, all right, you each need to write another check for $10,000 because you've, you've been paying yourself too much. He says, and, and neither one of you are ever allowed to touch the books again. And so that's kind of how it is, marketing, operations, finance, and that's how we've grown. Yeah. And that's, man, that's such a key part as you're, whether somebody's out there thinking about, do I do this? Because everything, you know, everybody right now, it's, it's been a good market, good run for the last few years. And I think a lot of agents are like, man, maybe, maybe I should do this, whether it's a team or a company or something like that. You really have to be clear that this business, beyond being an agent, this business to grow and scale, you have to have the right people in the right spot very difficult. I don't think anybody that's reached a high level of success is everything in there. You have to surround yourself with the people that can do the things that you're frankly not good at. And there's a lot that all of us aren't good at. So you guys, um, you've got this going then and started doing some deals. And that's a long way from 13 offices, 600 agents from three guys and, you know, just kind of starting this little startup real estate general brokerage company. And if I'm, you're talking three, about 13 years, that growth has happened. So what has, what did you guys decide when you said, let's grow? And I know it might not have been at that point, even (laughs) the vision of 600 agents, but what were you growing on? What did you really stand 
behind and say, this is what we're going to build this company on. This is going to be our value proposition when we're going out there and trying mm -hmm. to get people to join with, with um, what became Redwood. I love it. Yeah. So one of our, our first value propositions was really, we wanted to be the brokerage that was like a team, but that had, that, that gave the agents all the support that they would expect being on a team but gave them room to grow so that they wouldn't be leaving, you know, because we looked at the time there was the CC sales team and Chris Cormack, uh, big inspiration for the, the founding of our company. She was just killing it. Um, she had opened a, 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 one of the first Keller Williams agents in our area. She had uh, helped Gary Keller with millionaire real estate agent. At least that's what the lore um, around us was. And we looked at Chris's team and we said, we would love to sell as many or more houses than, than Chris does, Cece does, but we don't want to lose agents like she does because mm -hmm. as her system was kind of set up everything around Cece, not so much everything around the agent. And so mm -hmm. that was kind of the path that we wanted to have was that we would give you the, the room to grow. And, and so that, that was a beautiful vision. It, 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 it's a challenging vision though, right? Because, what we didn't, what we weren't thinking about in, in terms of things was like company dollar, you know, mm -hmm. she was spending a lot of money on the advertising and that to monetize that sort of, you, you, you kind of might, you, you, there's a strong argument why she put the type of infrastructure into place that she did. Mm -hmm. Anyway, long, long story, that's, that was kind of the inspiration was going to be big agents like herself and thinking we could do this only not have to endure the heartache of, of having an agent leave us. They could stay and join. And so if we take a look, Nick joined us November of 2003. By the late spring of 05, that is when our local real estate market, I think, started peaking in terms of buyer demand. We didn't feel any type of a total shift into a down market until everything went to you know where in say 2008, but the, the actual buyer, uh, late, late 07, uh, early 08 was kind of the bottom for mm -hmm. us, but, but the buyer, straight buyer demand, take the 100% financing and all that stuff out of, out of the way, that started peaking in like April, May of 05. And why that's significant to this conversation was we had grown, we were doing about $100 million worth of sales with about 10 agents. And we were really proud of that in a, in, in late spring 2005. But, but I felt that our recruiting, which I was leading, really when the market turned and buyer demand peaked, the, uh, my ability to get agents to join our company that I wanted declined. And I started noticing that I was losing them to the more established names. And because of that, I came back from the state theater in Falls Church, Virginia late one night. And I, I got in my head on that like 10 minute walk home that I should look into a franchising. And I went that night on my gateway 2000 computer <laughs> and I, I put in inquiries to two different franchises, century 21 being one of them and better homes and gardens, which was, um, had been acquired by GMAC. And I put in those inquiries there. That was summer of 2005. And uh, next day, we got a call from our rep in, at Century 21, and 
we didn't actually buy the franchise until August of 2006. But interestingly enough, the night before we signed the final paperwork to buy our franchise in August of 06, I got a call from GMAC Real Estate. And it's hilarious. It was like the night before I'm buying a franchise, I got a call from the only other inquiry, which is there's a lot to be learned in terms of, you know, lead follow-up. Century yeah. 21 called speed me. People say, why'd you? Yeah, <laughs> speed to lead. That's probably the answer. Why'd you go Century 21? It was speed to lead. Guy called the next day. So I told the guy from GMAC and he was so deflated. I said, you do realize, I said, I, I remember putting in this application. You know, it was like, it was probably like May 2000, um, you know, May 2005 that I submitted this. I said, I'm actually buying a franchise tomorrow. To know I was a good lead, but know that it took you way too long to call me. And he was kind of deflated and he just hung up. Man, that's a great lesson. So, and, and, and it never has never been more mm-hmm. relevant than right now for the people that are listening. If you're, in, if you're yeah. in the agent mode right now, you understand. One, look at the sales cycle. Look at how long that process took for you to make that final decision. It's no different than people that are raising their hand and we're getting them and saying, oh, they're not interested. No, they are. We're just getting them earlier. And it's going to take some time and follow up. That wasn't the first call that the, that the C21 rep had to make to, to tie you down and get you to come on board. So, No, no, he, he did it. And finally, what ultimately got us out on board was, so we had gone, that was, you know, I'm saying that was about May of 05. I think we took a, uh, a visit to Parsippany in that fall of 05. And then we sort of decided we're not interested. January 06, we get a call from the same rep. And he says, I want to take you boys to Las Vegas for the, for the, the global conference. Mm-hmm. And we said, no, appreciate it, John, but we're, we're not interested in the franchise. We've thought this through and we wouldn't want to waste your money. And he was unrelenting. And Nick and I, Sean says, I'm not going. And Nick says, ah, this guy wants to take us to Vegas. We'll go to Vegas. And the, the seismic shift happened when this was, now keep in mind, this is pre-recession. 321 was getting like 10,000 people to these global conferences. Conferences mm-hmm. have never really completely come back from, from, the, from the recession for different reasons. But um, we go into the MGM Grand Arena, 10,000 people from all over the world. You got people in these gold jackets from Japan and China and Germany marching through. And we were just like, wow. We, we were blown away. And what we were most excited about is the idea that we've, we would, as franchisees, have all these people would be our peers and we could learn from them. And even because we're so competitive, we could actually rate ourselves against them. We realized that we don't, as an independent brokerage, we don't have a, a network. We don't have people that we could peg our performance off of. And so anything, that's what drove us. And, and that, 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 that's kind of the light bulb that went off in our head. We were, we were very fond of the Century 21 name, just based on, on the name recognition. I don't think there's such of a, we were never of the point that it would either be Century 21 or nobody, but in our particular footprint, we felt like Century 21 was the name that was the absolute best for, for us. And I'm glad we thought that way because, again, we were 10 agents doing about $100 million worth of business. And now, and that's, that's, um, you know, that, that's gross sales revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gross sales number, not, 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 not commissions revenue. And now we're, you know, 600 agents, uh, 13 offices, will do about $1.8 billion worth of sales this year. So that's 18-fold growth, 18x growth in what that was 06 to 
whatever, 14 years. Yeah, 13, 14 years. Yeah, and I, boy, there's a, another really good point that I like is in the same with agents. If you don't really have something to measure yourselves against, you guys knew you were doing well. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at mm -hmm. the account and you're looking at that um, and saying, all right, we're making money and, and we're making a difference for our agents, then that's great. But one of the things that we have within, um, within the franchise, and, and I think that's one of the draws if people are wanting to grow and scale, is now you have a reference point. And so you can see how you're performing, and then you get to, you know, you get the benefit of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of companies and owners and um, resources. So now, once you're exposed to that stuff, you've just got so much more ability to grow quicker. Like we can all figure stuff out on our own, but it's a lot easier when there's the, the collaboration and then there's some accountability too. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. So, um, yeah, I'd say the next step was we bought our franchise in August of 06 and then we kind of disappeared. It's funny. We, we never thought, you know, we loved that global conference so much. The next year was at San Antonio and we weren't as excited about San Antonio at the time. And then we became even less excited when we saw that it was like 600 bucks plus airfare plus hotel room for everybody to attend. And we thought, um, well, if they're not sending us, you know, we're not going to go. And then we kind of fell off the, 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 the radar of century 21. You know, they were nice. They, they stayed in touch with us, but we didn't rely on them like we thought we would. And then I got a call one day that said, Hey, congrats, your office made Centurion. That means you can go to the leadership conference and the leadership conference this year is in the Bahamas. And so, you know, the two things that, two of the biggest things, that, the reasons I'm standing here talking to you is number one, Las Vegas, which helped sell me on buying a, uh, a, a franchise. And then the second thing was the Bahamas. I'd never been to Atlantis and I wanted to go on that water slide. That, <laughs> and so I do that mission accomplished. It's the recession, didn't cost me anything. And I get there and I'm in this big room again and my, with other broker owners. And I looked around and I thought, you know, I'm just as talented as these people and they're selling circles around me. I got to figure out how I can be a leader on this stage. And from that point, I think our growth just completely skyrocketed. Another funny point was I took a, I always like to sit near the front of the room. It's, that way I, I feel like I can absorb the content. Right at the front of the room, there's this big table with just two older people sitting there. And I thought I was doing I was being like the cool young guy, you know, sitting at the table with the, the older folks, you know, who didn't have anybody else there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there and Tom Kuntz, who was CEO, gets up and he, had, and, and he starts his talk. He says, and we have a really special guest in the room today. He says, um, my boss, Alex Brill. And so that became, that was just great because I got to know the two of them. And it was, the, but talk about like a seismic shift in your head. Yeah. You know, I, my young, arrogant self thought I was bringing the value here. Sit down and, and hang out with, with these CEO guys. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bestow them with my, my youthful knowledge. And here it's the CEO. And so Great. there's just those, those key events. And they, they've, they've become uh, lifelong friends. They've, they've been big uh, influences on helping us grow and giving us advice. And I still see them at, at conferences. So... There, there's just these key moments that, that of inspiration you find that help you grow. 
So that that's a great segue into let's shift gears a little bit. So a lot mm -hmm. of people that are watching this, a lot of the audience are going to be um, their agents that are, or maybe they're smaller teams, but they're they're kind of established. They understand, okay, this is where I want to be. I've seen some success, but then they look around and they see all the different opportunities of what you can do in this business. And they're listening to somebody again, talk about how they've grown. So what are one or two things that you would mm -hmm. tell a newer agent? I'm sure you have these conversations. So what are one or two things that you tell your new agents when they're coming in to really, really, that, that, that's the difference in them just, you know, kind of having a job in this industry versus really mm -hmm. taking off in, in getting incredible returns um, from what we've got in front of us, what we've got available. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the first thing I would say is number one, and we're, we're a business planning company, so I would say you, you, you have to create your business plan. First step in your business plan is you have to understand your why. If you don't understand why you're doing real estate, then you're unlikely to find success. So first thing is understand your why, understand where you want to go, set your goals, and then create a plan that's going to enable you to, to get to those goals. And you want to religiously adhere to the plan um, on a daily basis, but you also need to be, remain, especially at the beginning, you need to remain flexible enough that you, that you can adapt for what's working. So just because if, if you can, don't set yourself up in a situation where you can't afford failure, right? So you're brand new, you've got, don't do what I did, right? I had $60,000 um, total to spend and I set myself on a monthly burn rate of 20 grand. That is not something you should do. Had uh, I wouldn't be standing here had I not run into that Remax agent at the bar that one day and, and had the guts to have an open, honest conversation. Mm -hmm. So set yourself up on a plan that gives you ideally a one-year-long runway before you start seeing revenue. Um, if you can only afford a six-month runway, give yourself six months. But for heaven's sake, don't, don't only give yourself a three-month runway like I did. And then you want to don't get overly turned off by the failures because you're going to hit failure. I mean, I'm going to fail no short of 12, 15 times today. Don't be turned off by the failure, provided you can afford it. But be very alert to, what, to, to, um, to your successes and do your best to replicate those successes. In my case, it was that I got my first listing, which created phone calls, and I held my first open house, which gave me access to buyers and sellers. And so basically overnight, my business plan shifted from everybody's going to call me because I've got this clever ad that's going to give them $1,000 worth of furniture um, to I'm going to generate as many listings as I can because I know listings are what actually causes people to call or at least visit an open house. And that's mm -hmm. how I shifted that. So how this would work, I would say, you're new in the industry, you know, you're just going to fight and claw for your first, you know, yes set of buyers, but then ultimately set a listing because unlike buyers, listings are, are buyer magnets. You know, the, the kind of the biggest irony is you want to work with more buyers, get more listings get more because listings. that's how you, that's how you find people. So uh, just adhere to it. Be very, um, very, you want to pay a lot of attention to the sales funnel, you know, the customer journey. And you have to be very understanding that the top of that funnel is you're looking at 18 months, sometimes 36 months to conversion. But when you're starting any type of a, of a, of a venture that's going to have an 18-month funnel, you've got to 
measure your successes, not only in conversions, but how many people do I have at the top of that funnel? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people change course way too soon because they're, they're only paying attention to what's giving them those closings. And meanwhile, they're, they're costing themselves all those people that were, had come into that top of that funnel. So yeah. um, you, you sort of, you know, anytime in sales, you want to treat everybody, you want to ask everybody the questions that will allow them to identify themselves as being at the bottom of that funnel. So you're not costing yourself an opportunity to sell somebody a house that's ready to buy. But once they've shown that they're not ready to buy yet, you, you don't discard them, right? You put them in a long-term nurturing and you have the, the understanding that as long as I religiously, you know, follow up with these folks that they're going to become immediately, they're going to become referral sources. And then down the road, they're going to buy and sell, you know, ideally multiple properties with me. Yeah. And that's, so, that's a, that's one, I think that's one of the big challenges in our industry is when people come in, um, they, they may not, they may not understand that point. And if somebody doesn't point it out to them, they're looking for immediate business right away at the same time mm-hmm. where their experience, their skills aren't that good. So to be able to get yeah. immediate business, mm-hmm. you have to have a high level of skills or just get lucky. And luck's good, but it's yeah. not duplicatable. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you have low skills and you're only working for immediate business, then there's a challenge because you're not going to get a lot of it. And you actually learn your skills by working with the people that aren't ready yet. Because that's how yeah. you figure out the objections and the education and the trust and all of that stuff. So I, I, that's a really, really important point for anybody that is trying to kind of figure out when's it going to kick in. You might need to look at your business and see, am I, am I focused on that as being a viable end for me down the road? Do I see it as being able to get paid in the future for something I do today? Or am I just looking for the person that's going to buy in the next two or three weeks or list with me in the next two or three weeks? Because with low skills, that's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to survive. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about, let's talk about chasing revenue. So you need, ultimately a a business needs revenue to be successful, but getting into real estate, your, your mindset should be, I need experience. And with that experience, revenue is going to come. So I took a risk on today's podcast because I announced everybody, I didn't charge a commission on my first listing, which is a big no, no, right? There's a lot of people tell you for very good reasons. Don't ever give away your services for free. In my case, the value of of a listing was was there for me because I I'd already pre I'd already agreed to buy you know back page ads every single week so I just right. needed the money was I wasn't going to risk anything man I just right. needed I needed that on the back end and I immediately started started servicing how I think this translates into you know most agents that are entering the market on more conservative plans than mine less risky plans is work with rentals because. We have a saying that, you know, the movie Dodgeball, if you can dodge a rent, you can, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. You, um, if you can close a rental, you can most likely close a buyer because in many ways, rentals, tenant representation can be more difficult than buyer representation because uh, buyer representation, you go to a lender, you get that and they get themselves approved and then, you know, you're done with that process tenant representation, you've got to resell the tenant on every single applicant application. Mm -hmm. So you learn a lot from that. You also, um, you know, you're dealing with people's houses and while the risk of getting into a bad rental for one year 
the economic risk may not match getting into a bad house, you know, that, that you own. Hey, it's still people's lives. You know, these are uh, people either if they're moving themselves or with their family, they've got a lot on the line. And so you're going to be able to gain skills with partnering with those clients and, and negotiating, you know, with and on behalf of those clients on all those transactions. So th those are super valuable experience that can be picked up. There's still big broker side risk on it. So we, like we, I, I have some peers in the industry that they don't even want their new agents to, to, to touch rentals because they, they, there's, there's ample, there's the same, maybe more broker side risk on it. But hey, we, we uh, pride ourselves in having really good training and good partnerships. And so we, we, we've elected to do those rentals and that does help us um, partner with our agents to, to grow their business. And they're also, Hey, a, a closed rental could be every bit of the same value to your sphere of influence as a closed, you know, buyer side. So, yeah. And it gets, you know, it gets them involved and interested in, I think, you know, the, the investing in themselves at some point in time. And, and if nothing else, they, yeah. they're going to learn from the conversations at some point, they're going to be talking to an investor that uh, they're either talking about buying or selling. So it's, it's a good education all around. So um, really, really good stuff. I want to, I want to give you kind of, we're wrapping things up here time-wise, but I want to mm -hmm. kind of give you an opportunity to, um, if there was w one last thing that you want to um, kind of get out to anybody that might be might be struggling right now or figuring out, you know, the market seems there's a lot of, a lot of talk mm -hmm. of changes. Obviously technology is making its mark yeah. for that agent that's out there. That's um, that is maybe not changing as quickly as they need to not being as versatile as we know that they need to be. What's one thing that, uh, that you could give them as a piece of advice to, uh, to maybe get them back reengaged that um, to, to understand that just keep trucking and, and mm -hmm. get the job done. Yeah, I think, I think the record, the recognition that we're living through the most exciting real estate market of all time should is enough to get anybody out of bed early um, every morning and, and working later than their, their personal lifestyle should probably allow them to. I mean, this is, we're, we're entering a phase of monumentous change inside of the brokerage industry. And so that how you navigate that change is, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but number one, you, 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 you adhere to what's been working for you in terms of your business growth, which is going to be your sphere of influence, working those referrals. Where you have to be very um, adaptable is understanding that the offerings that you provide your clients and the ways in which you interact with them are, are likely changing. So it's not necessarily the, re the actual relationships that are changing and the importance of the relationships that are changing, but it could be how you're communicating, how you're staying in touch with the clients yeah. um, that, that is changing. And it's the beautiful thing about change is, is it, it kind of resets the card deck every year. And so the, an agent entering the market in 2020 has the ability to grow their business much more rapidly than an agent like myself that entered general brokerage in, in 2002. And I had more opportunities in 02 than somebody entering in 1980, yep. right? There's, so it's freaking exciting. The, if anything, the cards are, are comparatively stacked more in the newer agents favor than they have been in years past. So the ability for an experienced agent to, to, lose a bunch of market share is probably higher than ever, but 
your question was about an agent who's looking to restack the ability for an agent who's in the process of reshuffling or gaining experience, their ability to grow is, is higher than ever. So that, that alone would get me freaking excited to, to get out there and do it. There's no doubt about it. In, in this, in this day and age right now, when we see it all the time in every market, people are coming in from outside of the industry with really good business minds and they're becoming some of the top producing agents, companies, and teams in certain markets. So um, what you just described is you need to get with somebody like you who can change mm-hmm. and shift their mindset about how they're looking at what's happening around them because it really is a, a time of unbelievable opportunity that people in the past have been in the business for a while just didn't have uh, available to them. So um, great information. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you um, hopping on. If there's somebody in your market yeah. or somewhere outside um, business planning is a huge part of what you guys do, helping them find their why. How do people get a hold of you um, if they want to know more about you or the opportunities that you guys have in your offices? Just call me right here, 202-815-0925. You can, you can call me directly. I know that my team probably hates every time I do that because <laughs> um, we do have plenty of other people that are more than qualified to answer the phone, but like, <laughs> hey, it's, it's my personality that, that uh, if there's somebody that wants to know my business planning, I want to be able to talk to them or at least, you know, make a quick introduction to somebody on our 13 office team that can, that can take great, great care of them. And, and I don't, I hope you're okay with this, but a gratuitous plug for both of us is the other piece of advice is work with a brokerage that understands training and coaching and can help you as an agent adapt. And so the Her- Century 21, the Harrelson group in, in, in Myrtle beach you know, Century 21, Redwood Realty in the, in the DC area, definitely, you know, fit the, I, I, I think our, our, our organizations are, are very similar in, in that structure. So. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent. I I think our role, and I think you would echo this, our role in the ownership um, and the management of the companies is to be forward out, out of front of the agents and seeing what changes are coming up and then putting the systems and the tools in place so the agents can go do what they need to do, which is just generate business. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's why I'm down here in Austin at the Zillow conference. You know, agents come up to me all the time, I hate Zillow, you know, this and that. Look, that's where the consumers are. So yeah. when we talk about adaptability, we want to be, that's not going to get us very far if we just decide we just hate on Zillow, Zillow and that they steal our listings. Yep. We need to be down here partnering with the the companies that that are um, that are, are driving the eyeballs and, and understanding how what they're working on and how our agents can can benefit from that. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Eddie. It's been a okay. it's been a pleasure. I hope thank to see you, you in, uh, in a few weeks at Leadership. And um, if anybody needs to get a yep. hold of Facebook we'll uh, Messenger is the best way to get a hold of me, and we'll uh, we'll connect um, out in California in a couple of weeks. So thanks again, Eddie, and okay. uh, catch awesome. everybody thank on the next you. level up. Thanks.